Yes, and we're ready to go. You guys ready? First Samuel chapter 8. We're starting section number 2. So it's kind of a new part of Samuel now. So uh, what's happening is that in the early chapters of 1 Samuel, the Israelites think that they can employ the ark of God in their battles and they can win because they carry the ark in with them. And they suffered defeat once before the ark, so they said, let's use the ark, and they suffered even worse defeat. And what was worse, the Philistines took the ark away from them and uh, in the battle, took it and who, yeah, who really got the curse when they had the ark? It was the Philistines, and they kept moving it from one city to the next because of the plague. That's what it amounted to. So now uh, we're going to give attention to something here that we call tonight, the title of this, is quite appropriate, the high cost of big government. And that's what the people want. They want big government. King will take care of them and make things free. Only it'll cost them. It'll cost them even bigger. That's the problem with big government or what it usually develops into is socialism. And so we'll see this because really the people have had a king. Who's the king? God is the king. And we'll show a couple of scriptures that he was their king. Now, they are during the time of the judges, but judges are not kings. Samuel is a great man of God that God has appointed here to be the judge. But um, what we've seen so far is not a lot of his ruling, not a lot of his prophecy in these first seven chapters. It's kind of, uh, you know, hit and miss. The bulk of his ministry really is passed over in those first few chapters. And then we see a little more clearly the the contrast that happens as he has rule that begins. He's uh, the last of a dying breed. He's the last of the judges. And he's a transition between the judges and what is to come next, the kings. So the book of Judges says at the beginning of his work, if you look in Judges 2, that's in Judges, even though Judges, Samuel, they're really during the, the time of the Judges, but in Judges 2, 16 through 19, kind of interesting, as it says, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Remember that? Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods, idolatry, bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died and they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. They haven't changed a bit. Even when Samuel is judge, he gets almost to like what would be kind of like retirement years. 
do, do judges retire? And I think they just die, you know. Uh, Samuel still wanted to kind of be the judge. But they see him get older, and they're thinking about their future. They're looking at his sons, and they go, we need a king. And that's really where we're headed here. So they will demand a king from Samuel, and that was just like what we just read in Judges 2. You know, they're, you know, he's not even dead yet. You know, and then they would start rebelling again, you know, and then they would, you know, be uh, against God for many years, and then they would repent. God would send them another judge, and things would go good for a while, and then over and over, that's the way that went. Well, here it is right here. The end of the judges, and they're basically doing the same thing, but while he's alive. He hasn't even died yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening and praise you for who you are and what you do. We look to you for your wisdom, for your guidance in every situation. And as we see how you design government, it is always the best. We know that all the different governments that are in the world are going to fall far short of who you are. And even our nation that has been so good still yet is far short of what a true monarchical reign of God is about. And that's what we look to. The ultimate government one day will take precedence over all, and that will be the end of man trying to rule. And Lord, as we think about the um, presidential vote tonight and other uh, races, governors and such, uh, senators, we pray that... uh, Again, your righteousness would reign and that the ones who stand for life and stand for the things that you are about would pray for victory. And we know that we're in your hands no matter what. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, one chapter tonight. One chapter. And uh, I think it is rather interesting. Uh first five verses is going to be Samuel, the people, and what they're demanding now as he's gotten older. Hey, can you read the first five verses? Yeah. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second son, his second was Abihah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in the way. They turned towards dishonest prophet. They took bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Okay. I want to say something real quick. It's interesting that he's a judge and his two sons did the same thing as the last guy's sons. The last guy's sons were just... Eli's. Yeah, Eli's sons, they were all kind of terrible. Yep, they were terrible priests. Here you have terrible judges. Injustice, corruption... Corruption deep into the uh, the ruling realm right. at that time. Even though Samuel is a godly man, right. and I'm sure that he taught them the things there of God. Their mother, mm. 
That's right. What happened? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, you know it probably wouldn't matter, would it? <laughs> so, yeah, that's where we're at. Now, Samuel's life and his ministry here has pretty well been passed over until chapter 8. And now we see him as an old man. Have you seen him judging much? We had chapter 7 when that basically happened. And there was deliverance from the Philistines. And right at the end of uh, chapter 7 was his ministry. He judged Israel all the days of his life. And now it just jumps all the way to pretty well near the end. Even though there's a lot more to go now. We'll see a lot more of Samuel than um, what we have already. So his two sons are appointed by Samuel as judges. They're uh, in this frontier town of Beersheba. And um, it's, it says here that um, he's got Joel, Abiah, they're judging, and they don't walk in his ways, or they don't walk in the way, the way of God. They're not, they're not godly. And on the other side of that, they have dishonest gain, they take bribes, they pervert justice. That's what people do if they're not doing the things that are righteous, that are appointed by God. They took advantage of their situation just like the sons of Eli the priest who did priestly work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, they're not godly men. They judged unjustly. And so when it becomes real obvious, the whole nation it realizes that these guys are they're corrupt. And I think the inference may be drawn that Samuel deals with the problem. I really think he does because later on, I think as um, in chapter 12, verse 21, or uh, I think it's, no, I think it's uh, maybe 12 verse 2. Should be there. Uh, now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I've walked before you from my youth even to this day. It seems like they're no longer judging. They're with the people. They're amongst them. They're not sitting in some kind of a high place here. But they're with them. And you can see that he has been faithful all the way through. I think he did something with his sons. I think he removed them from their office. I think that speaks volumes there. That be the case. He claims to have done the people no injustice. And you know he had to be just. He's a man of God. And they knew that. The people couldn't argue with that. No corruption. And so how can he speak that if he's not dealt with the corruption of his own sons? He he took action. Whereas Eli really didn't do that, did he? Eli let his sons do it till finally it was too late. All the hideous things they did. Samuel's two sons are not godly men. Rather... They don't walk in his ways, but here now, I think that he's taking care of that. And so, at least coming back to chapter 8 now, they have gathered together, they come to Samuel at Ramah, and that's where he's been judging, that's basically his place there. And said, behold, you've grown old. It's like they're thinking that he's going to die any time. And uh, we sure don't want your sons to be over us. 
And we might as well have a king over us that will judge like how they judge in other nations. The king judges, runs the show. He's a monarch. He's a despot, basically. And they're willing to be a subject under a king. They don't know how this one man... You're up to one man. Nobody to have checks and balances. That's what we have had in our constitution in this land that we live in. It's all checks and balances. And you even have two parties. We've, we would fear the day if there was only a one-party system. You know, with, with it being corrupt, what chance would the people have? And in socialism, that always happens. Well, here is this case here. They want a king. They already have a king. But um, they're really offending God here, really. Not really Samuel, as God will tell them later. Um, how is God a king? Have we ever seen that in here? Go to chapter 10. He, he gives the same kind of warning here, really, is, is what happens if... Uh, when they have a king, but in chapter 10, 17 through 19, Samuel called the people together at Mitzpah, and he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms and were oppressing you, but you have today rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses, yet you have said, No. But set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So there's second time we see this. One more time. Look in chapter 12. Starting at verse 6. Samuel said to the people, It's the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which He did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and setting them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. That's all during the time of the judges, right? But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. That went on and on just continually throughout that judges period. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. Although the Lord your God was your king. Ah, did you see in verse 12 there? Did you catch what the deal is? Why are they really wanting a king way back in chapter 8, which is where we're at tonight? Why is it? Because of Ammon. We want a king like they have, and we fear what's going to happen. We need a king who would take care of us. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. 
If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and listen to His voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. What he's saying, okay, I'm going to give you a king. This king though, if you obey me, here's the things that you have to do. Here's the things the king has to do. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that He may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So in that section we learn why they want the king. The biggest reason. It's kind of interesting about this. He doesn't tell him to do anything that he hasn't been telling him to do this whole time. Same thing, isn't it? He says, whether you have a king or not, still obey my command. Do as I've commanded you to do. And if your king does good, good things will happen. If your king does bad, bad things will happen. It's the same same thing. Oh, bless you. He still does that today. He really does. So, Ammon was coming against him, mounting up, and remember, during the time of Samuel, They've really not had any trouble with anybody. Remember the Philistines? That was it for them. Everybody else surrounding them. It was a really a time of peace that uh, Samuel brought for them. And so I think that is saying quite something. Um, Samuel, you're getting old. And your sons, they're corrupt. We can't have a bright future without having somebody come in. We need a whole new order. We need to break down this whole system. <laughs> the judges. That's what it is. Break it down and have a king like the other nations and let this king judge us. And that means let there be a dynasty. Because did the judges have sons who then replaced that judge who died? No dynasty through judges, was it? They had a judge for a certain time and then they rebelled and then what God do? You know, of course, the judge died and they went and did crazy stuff again. Same old pattern. But, and then he would raise up another judge. Well, a king has a son and he becomes a king. And then his son is a king. It's a dynasty. It's handed on down. That's the idea of monarchical reign. It's the way it always is through all the nations that I know of. So God raised up judges and they want to put their trust in a king where have they put their trust just recently before or during the time of Samuel whenever he started being their leader where they put their trust the ark now they've learned put their trust in God and the prophet prophet speaks for God and now they're wanting to go back to putting their trust in Somebody besides God. A king. They already have God as the king. <laughs> so Samuel's role here is uh, not to uh, have sons who are going to continue to lead in that dynasty. So they're calling for a system. 
And this king's sons will rule in the place, and that means most of the time they're going to be wicked. Even if you have a good king following right after him, what are the sons? Or vice versa. You can have a bad father, and then the son comes out to be the king. But the, you know, the cure is worse here than the disease or the problem. The cure that they have, that they come up with, is worse than what the problem really is. So, they demand it. They wish to overhaul the justice system. They want to get rid of the judges and be like the nations around them. Maybe some kind of a system that the people would see that they are no different than them. God kept them different, didn't He? They don't want to be a distinct nation. They want to be in with the rest of the world, which is called globalism. Because you're accepted by people now. But God designed Israel to be set apart from the nations around them. But they want to be like all the nations around. They have idolatry. A king would be their god. You have a military threat of Ammon, so let's use our king. The king means you're going to have an army. That's all designed. Had they ever designed an army before? No. They were all volunteer. Volunteer army. Matter of fact, this nation started with all volunteer army. No drafts. People just volunteered. Who won? (laughs) God. That's right. So in 6 through 9 now, we have the response of Samuel and then God. So we're back in 1 Samuel 8. They make their demand. Samuel says, I don't like this. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. Keep note of that right there. Here's how Samuel felt. Here's what Samuel did. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. Who do we have here? All right. Hi, girls. Hi, girls. Good to see you. <laughs> but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. Listen to the people, he says. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel hears it. He's displeased. Can you imagine? He's given his life to this nation and being totally opposite of corruption. Pure justice has been going there. They come up to him and so say they want a king. They're seeking his replacement. But I don't think 
Samuel's displeasure here is really taken personally. It's you know you don't see him responding defensively here. I think it's all about what's right. So literally the text is saying this evil in the sight of Samuel. It says displeasing it was evil. He knew it was wrong. This is not the way that it should be done. So, isn't that interesting? Simply put, Samuel knows that their request is wrong, that it's sinful, it's evil. So this confirms his godly character. He calls it the way that he is. That it is. He is the judge. Very wise man. He doesn't pop off though here. He could have used his flesh. He could have used exactly the first thing that comes to your mind and said, What are you doing? What do you mean? I've been serving you here all these years. He says, There's no way we're going to do this. But he doesn't do that. He goes right to the Lord. Yeah. And he doesn't scorch the elders with disapproval and anger at them. What does he do? He prays. He goes to God in prayer, and that's why he was always inclined to do. That's why he was so successful. He didn't let the flesh pop off and let the mouth just fire away. That is a mark of a mature, godly person. Something to be taken from that, isn't it? You know, I'm sure his flesh would have liked to have done it, though. He, you know, and you know, he's displeased, but I think it's a righteous anger. That means it is something that is comparable to the way that God thinks. So, Samuel does his response, and here's God's response. Seven, the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people. It's the first thing he says. Samuel has got to be thinking, Oh, Really? Listen to the people in regard to all they say to you. It's not that they're right, but okay, they've done this over and over and over. They've seen the history, and here we go again. You know what? Okay, we'll give it. We'll give it to them. This is what they want. This is what they deserve. That's the fear that I have of this nation. That if if there's a majority, if the if a vote goes a certain way that is not righteous. It goes with the majority of the people, basically. You know what? That's the way this nation really is. I know right now it seems like it's half and half, but if it's that much, what kind of nation are we? How corrupt? How did it ever get this way in the first place? And so that's what Samuel, he's coming at a crossroads here. The people, can you imagine people coming to, you're not dead yet. <laughs> you know, you don't have the right to ask for a king and God says, listen to him. And here's where I'm going to say, here's where God has been their king. Let's look at it directly and see the scriptures where he is king. Exodus chapter 15. Did you know Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. This is after the victory that they've had over Egypt. And Moses 
has this song and he talks about the king in 16 through 18. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm, speaking to God. They are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, He made a covenant with them. He's reigning. Who reigns? The King. Who's, who's the king? The Lord. Uh, that's one text. We go to Deuteronomy 33, 1 through 5. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came from the midst of ten thousand holy ones. At his right hand there was flashing lightning for them. This is when he gave the law. Indeed, He loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand. And they followed in your steps. Everyone receives of your words. Moses charged us with a law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob, and he was king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people were gathered, the tribes of Israel, together. He was king. He was king over all of, all of Israel. All there. That's the blessing of Moses. Look in Psalm 74, verse 12. And we know when he makes covenants, covenants really are what a king makes with the people as they covenant together. They're going to serve the king or be slaves of the king. The king will then in turn offer protection, provision, uh, armies, uh, lots of other things, security there, right? That's what is the way that it's supposed to operate. 74.12 Yet God is my King from of old who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. So we say God is king. We know that. It's really easy, but you look at those scriptures and many more, but that's making it clear that God is their king. They forgot that he's king. They knew it whenever he delivered them across the Red Sea and they came into the promised land, but then they got into the land and then shortly after that, the next generation, and then it just, everything fell apart again like it always did. But he's king. It's universal. People know it. But we want a human king. You know what they had? A theocracy. You guys have heard of that, right? You know, we, we have a democracy here. That's ruled by the people. Well, yeah. So, a theocracy or theos or theology is what? Theology is a study of God. 
Here a theocracy is being ruled by God. Israel was a theocracy. Has there ever been a theocracy after that time period? No. We don't have a theocracy here in America, do we? God didn't intend it to. But for that chosen people, He was the king. And they were in tune with Him. They would be going out and then bringing the rest of the world to be serving underneath the king. They didn't do that very well. And so that was the end of the theocracy whenever you have King Saul come in to play, which is going to be very soon now. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. But uh, this is how God teaches people. You know, they, uh, they lost their theocracy. And then they got some kings that were good, not too many. Most of them were bad. Just like rulers in all over the world. How many really good leaders have we really had through the thousands of years? You can't name very many. Some of them were great conquerors, but they really weren't good leaders of the people. They captured a lot of land. I think a certain people like, you know, like uh, maybe Churchill, somebody like him who was very strong and stout. You know, you think of what's that? Winston Churchill. Yep. And, of course, every, you know, a lot of nations, every nation's had good leaders. I'm not saying that they're not there, but they're few and far between. We had one back in the 80s that went eight years as president, Reagan. I think we've had another special one in the four years that we've had with Trump and all the things that he's gotten done. He's gotten some things done even more than even Reagan actually could. And which is surprising with uh, with the enemy against him like yeah. never ever before. Yeah. It's amazing what God can do through a man. It's not that he's great, but God worked through him because he stood for righteousness. He blessed him, and uh, you know we know God's in control, and we're okay, folks. We're gonna be okay, no matter however this thing lands. We're gonna be just fine. He does. And we see it right here. And He is so merciful, He says, Oh, you want a king? Okay. Okay. I'll give it to you. And oh, and now we're getting ready for the part where God tells Samuel, you know, listen to him and that kind of thing. You know, it's been a constant succession of rejections. There has been idolatry, you know, what's really their God, you know, now. And. Samuel is supposed to listen to the people and give them their way. As we go back to chapter 8, verse 9 of 1 Samuel, uh, it says, Listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Okay. Listen to them. Warn them. Here's what they're going to get. Here's what's going to happen. If I didn't know any better, I would say that this is close to socialism. Watch. Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who would ask of him a king. He speaks it all out. He doesn't hold back anything. He spoke everything, didn't he? What a prophet. What a judge. 
that he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. Here's what's going to happen when you have a king. This is the way, and it's and it invariably did. From here on out, that's what it did. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants or slaves. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's too late. This is high taxation. This is a cost. The cost of of a king is going to cost you dearly. It's going to cost you your sons and your daughters, your flocks. Everything that you have is going to be affected. As Biden said, I'm going to tax you. I'm going to tax you highly. He says, it'll be the ones making over 400000 First thing that he's going to do is strip away all the benefits that we had from President Trump. And all of a sudden our taxes will be higher automatically by doing that. And believe me, he will always follow the way that um, they do here. This is um, just amazing. Count the cost of having a king. He will take... The king who will reign over you, he will take. You know what? It's all about following the money. They don't care about the people. They want the money to come in. They don't they matter of fact they want to see people poor because the money just keeps coming in. Down in Venezuela All the people are poor except the ones that are right up there leading in that government. And man, they are raking it in and they could care less as the people starve to death and don't have water, don't have a house to live in. It is horrible. And they did that in just a few years. That is what happens when you go the socialistic way. So some of our... Sons and daughters want that kind of government. And God says, okay, you got it. And maybe they'll realize that what we were telling them, warning them, and that's exactly what Samuel did, they're going to see, maybe Mom was right. And it'll be too late. Yes. 
We told them. Look at what the people in Venezuela are trying to do now. Oh, a lot of them are coming late. here. Yeah, yeah. If they can. Well, they're they're trying to get a new leader down there, but it's too late. It's too late. It's, it's, it's shot. It was one of the richest countries in the world. It was, I think it was right behind us, or real close at that, or maybe above us. I don't. They were rich in oil. He just came in there and raped him and said, well, had they at least done that and, and, and done a little bit of, what do you call it, capitalism, then maybe they could have survived a little bit. He said, no, they don't want that. They don't want people to have food. They want them to die. They kill off the old people first. They kill off the Christians first, maybe, and then the old people, or maybe that's part of it. Maybe the church is basically the old people. I don't know. But, you know, here I am. I, I'm not trying to tie everything into this, but I look at this and I'm going, this is just repeated over and over and over. Well, Different if names. If you look at what he's saying, the king has to take the young man and he has to take the daughters and he has to have all this food this he has to take your crops to feed all these servants of his and i mean he's a king he has to have a big palace to look like the, you bet you. Else. and how's he going to get it exactly he's going to have to take it from the people he's take it from them. now there's one thing about having taxes to pay for the things that we have to have we know infrastructures and we know a lot of that stuff we're very thankful for it. and we're glad to do that it's just that you don't want to give you know, a, a big Everything. chunk of your income and your whole lives to them, you know. And that's really what it amounts to. Right, and then they don't do what they promised they're going to do. Right. Yeah. In the book of Judges, you see no king. You see no palace. You see no standing army. Okay. Every, you know, we know a volunteer army was always assembled whenever, whenever they needed it. So where did they get the supplies? Well, they were supplied by their families. Right. They, whenever they needed it, they would do that, and they would gladly do that. Um, there's no ad administration of counselors, um, advisors, the servants that are right underneath him, the staff. You don't, you know, there, there was no supporting all of them and facilitating the whole king's right. This brings in a lot of people. Judges, didn't people have to do something for the judges? I was. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that, but if he's doing most of his work, yeah, I would have to say that something had to come in from from the people to be able to. To do that, that's full time. Maybe they pay, did they pay a, like an Well, they had an informed system at that time. It was inexpensive, but it would function if they had godly rule, which they did. It's functioning real well under Samuel. With God as their king, it's been working. Matter of fact, it'll always work. It's the only way that it'll really work all the time. So, uh, we can see in the book of Judges and in 1 Samuel 7, for example, all of that, and that's the way that, that it happened. And so he says the sons will be drafted into the army uh, to have a king who will go before them. He's going to lead them to war. Now remember in chapter 12, they were afraid of Ammon. 
we had a king, he's going to get an army. They're going to be a standing army that are ready, right? So life on the farm is not going to be the same as it was. Things are going to change. Uh huh. The king's going to draft your sons into the military. They're going to drive the chariots and serve the horsemen. He's going to, uh, out of certain people, he's going to have commanders appointed. They'll be drafted as officers. Daughters are going to be taken, taken. The Israelites' daughters who once served at their father's table will now be serving at the king's table. And of course, there'll be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He gives them jobs to do as they, they serve him. The produce and the land taxes. Uh, a standing army has to have supplies. They have to have food. Israelite sons will be used to plant and harvest crops. They're not going to be doing it at home. They're going to be doing it for the king now and build and maintain military equipment. Not to mention all the non-military uh, uh, supplies that are required. The, consume, uh, the consumption really is going to be large of uh, uh, dealing with food of all the people who are going to serve it. And of course the king has to have the best, Right? So it's going to be the best of all the foods that come in. He's going to assess a tax upon all that is grown in Israel. Big percentages. The best of their grain will go to the king. Finest of the vineyards, finest of the vegetables. A good portion of the fine things off the family farm that you would enjoy now are going to be consumed by the king's servants. You're not going to get to keep that anymore. The king's servants need to live also, right? So the people will pick up the tab for this as well. And it's going to make them poorer and poorer. It always has. And that's exactly what was happening in England whenever they took the land from the people. They took everything that they had. And that's why you had back in, let's say, like 1600s, you had a raising up of... Uh, actually, who were Christians. And they served under Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell was strong. And he took Christians, took an army, brought them all together and made an army out of them. They weren't a standing army. They're volunteers. They come in and, of course, they do away with the king who was taking uh, lives he was taking everything from the people. They were losing their farms, their houses, everything that they owned. Somebody had to put a stop to it, and Cromwell did it. Now, a lot of people say that's not the thing to do. Or maybe somebody shouldn't have done it, like Bonhoeffer. was uh, Almost had Hitler killed himself. But he wound up getting caught, and he went to prison, and then he was killed there. Um... I say if there, you've got a madman that's up there, you've got to do something about it. Using God's wisdom there, some would say, well, we're supposed to submit. And there they are at the same time taking people's heads off. I think there is a time where there is a defense. There is a time for the sword. And it's for protection. I don't think we're supposed to just lay it all down. Just, hey, come for me, man. You know, I mean... Hey, we get to be with the Lord, but we also have this thing about trying to stay alive too. But if they take us, then they do. 
it's quite a battle that I think Christians have had down through the years. And you know, where do you draw the line? Well, it's it, it's a hard line to draw. It's a shame it has to be that way, but when you live in a sinful world, that's the kind of things that happen. So we see that um, they plant their fields and then they give a big percentage to the king. The king will require livestock, donkeys to plow the king's fields. Where's he going to get that at? Well, the people are going to supply it. Debbie has a lot of livestock. All of a sudden you have uh, the government and all of a sudden they, they start taking your livestock. Not just money, but they take a good chunk of your animals. How would you feel if that happened? What if they come in and they take your, all your canned goods, everything you, you've pro, you know, out of your fields and your gardens? Everything you've worked for, and it's gone. Take it. You don't need Ammonites. <laughs> <laughs> really? You got it, kid. You got it right there. Right. Yep. So the people become servants. They become on his staff, the staff to serve him. The best Israel has to offer for male and female servants, livestock, donkeys, plowing, and um, there he is ruling, and people are now becoming slaves of the king. They now have lost freedoms. That's what we want the most, freedom. But they will realize finally what they've gotten themselves into. It'll be too late to change the course. The Israelites will someday cry out to God because of their oppression. They've always done that. That you know, when things are really bad, they finally come to the conclusion we need to turn to God. We might have some people do that. Whenever we have really bad leadership and they realize that they have gotten into a socialism that's not as beauty beautiful as they thought it was going to be, some of those people might turn to the Lord like these guys did. Have you guys thought of that? I just now did. I haven't thought of that. Why haven't I? That's what God can use. He can make things that are bad and turn it into good. What's good about it? Well, the kingdom of God is really what it's about kingdom that we have here are going to come and go. They always do. Have you ever seen a nation last forever? They don't. We've gone over 200 years. I think that's incredible. Yeah, every empire has fallen since the beginning. They all have. They all have. And this one will too. You betcha. But you know what? God already prophesied that in the book of Daniel. You know, and the kingdoms and the kingdoms and, you know, and then the big mountain, the big rock comes in and just blows them all away. That's Christ. That's the King. And ultimately, that's what we are really about. And that helps us no matter what, go, what it goes. I'm positive about what's going to happen tonight, but you know what? <laughs> it may not go the way that I want, which would be the guy, way you guys want, but it's okay. It's all right. God will uh, see fit on how He's going to do His will. So in 19 through 22, we finish up the chapter. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, Now He told them exactly what's going to happen. This is the way that I feel. I feel like Samuel. You guys feel like Samuel because you've been telling people if you accept that way and if it's communist or social, excuse me, if it's democratic socialism that you want, here's what's going to happen and they don't believe you. And so this is what, you know, Samuel's done with his warning and they don't listen. 
people are just hard-headed. Hard-hearted. Hard-hearted. Probably even better. So, they say, no. But there shall be a king over us so that we also may be like all the nations. That was the whole point of God to make them different than all the nations. They want to be like the nation. God knows that. He says, okay. That's what God does finally. In His wrath, He says, I'll give you what you want. Not what I want. I'm going to give you what you want. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Like the king is going to do that. Yeah. He's going to take your kids. And yeah. They're going to go fight. They kind of used to. I mean, like now, now, right? But back in the day, kind of like a lot of the kings would lead their army into battle. Oh yeah, they'd go right in it. Like David, for instance, went into battle. You know, almost all the time. And he was a warrior. Yeah, he led him that way. But, of course, nowadays, you, I don't think we've ever seen oh, any... Yeah, Washington even did that. Yeah. We had a president who actually led them into battle. That's a good, good point. Now they put him on a jet and take him someplace. Get him out of there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, as we get ready to close it down here, now look at this, that we may be like all the nations, and our king may judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. He goes back, he speaks to the Lord, and he tells exactly the way they responded. The Lord said to Samuel, just like he said before, listen to their voice, appoint them a king, how tough does that to be? So Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. You know what's interesting here? After Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing, saying, well, God didn't know? Does Samuel have to tell him that? Why do we pray to inform God of things that are going on and he doesn't know? He knows full well. He's always known this for eternity. Past, present, and future. It's been for eternity he's known this. Are we informing him? Never do we inform him about anything. But what? why do we pray then if he already knows? So that we just show him we're in agreement with him. That's right. And that it now, we are now getting it. Yep. Oh, God, this is what you want. So it's great to repeat things, you know, like that. And it's commuting with Him. He wants us to talk with Him. And the best way to talk with Him are, are saying the things that He's already given us. And, boy, you can't lose with that. So, God knows, of course. We need to share our burdens with Him though, don't we? Samuel tells God everything the people say, not because God needs to be informed, but because Samuel needs intimacy with God. And that's good. That's why we go to Him and say, Lord, you know, if You be Your will, we want this to be a righteous nation. We want, you know, we want everything that You want. And, you know, he, he wants us to pray that way. He really does. But at the same time, 
It still may not turn out the way that we thought we wanted it, but it's going to work for good. So God gives to the people what they demand. And if Deuteronomy 17.14 is a prophecy of the demand for a king, the remaining verses in this chapter that we just read there are God's instructions intended to prevent the king from being like um, the kings of the nations. Look, here's what he finally does. In Deuteronomy 17, I think it is so good. He says, even in his letting them do this, get what they want. This is like 400 years before. Exactly. Did, did you read the Deuteronomy 17 here? I just happened to, happened to be starting Deuteronomy and Matthew Henry's commentary, and he talked about this section of it. And I'm like, oh, wow. Would you, <laughs> would you read 17, chapter 17, 14 through 20? You have it right there, don't you? If y'all don't mind the King James. Yeah. Fire away. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me, thou shalt say in any wise, Set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand, or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. And that was the point Henry was making, that the, the kings that were to come were supposed to write this, write this down and keep the book with them and read it every day. And I don't know, there were many kings that followed this. At least David, they didn't go back to Egypt. David did. Well, he did the wife thing. Yeah, the, yeah, well, he, did yeah he did the horses and the wife stuff. He did but, most. But he wrote the he wrote these things. He was the greatest he king there was. Mm -hmm. He taught and he talked about reading yeah. the law. That's right. He he um, he he pursued God. He chased after him, but he he you know he took pride in having he the people. Sinned. The what did he have horses? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, David's yeah. horses, right? Did he have multiple wow. wives? Yeah. Yes, he did. And did we see the consequences yeah. of David? We have a lot of about that in the book of Psalms. But he wrote these things down. But he, he did know God's word. <laughs> he did know God.
there weren't very many kings like David that could even come close. And look how the flesh ruled even David. Yeah. I was always amazed that God would call him the apple of his eye. Thinking, David? And all his sin? Really? But this this is the key, that he, he wrote it down and he read the law. And he knew the law. And he even wrote and come on, the he scripture. Did his best. <laughs> he did. He he let the flesh get the best of him sometimes. But he was a man after God's own heart. And that's what counts. But if we give in to sin, we will pay for it dearly. He did. And let us let well, that be God, a lesson. We have a savior. <laughs> That's what it's about. And what was he a picture of? The king to come who is our savior. He was a great picture of that, a great warrior. When he comes back, Christ is going to be the warrior, isn't he? Boy, I'll tell you what, there's a lot right there in that just that one little chapter, isn't there? That's immense, but that what what it is and this shows the character of God. He is so merciful as He gives him a king and it gives warning. Here's what's going to happen. But also, a good king is going to follow the ways of the Lord and he's going to fear me. If you have a leader that fears God, and we've had that in the last four years. But I'm not telling you where his life is with Christ. But the king thing was a given. That was, it was written down, what did you say, 400 years prior? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a given. It Long before it happened. happened. Yeah. Here's what I want the king to since you're gonna have a king yeah. and you know I'm your king, but you're gonna reject me. Okay, yeah. here you go. And here's what I want this king to do. But in Deuteronomy, I don't think it even says it rejects the Lord. Yeah, I think it just says it's gonna you're gonna want a king like everybody else around you. Yeah. But yeah, but the, in first Samuel definitely was rejecting they were rejecting God. And Samuel you know, probably felt like he was being rejected and God said, No, they're rejecting me. Yeah. I am the king. Whew. Wow. I'll tell you what, I thought this tied in great with this particular day. It did it, you know, the more and more I thought about it, I go, My, this is right on um election day. And so therefore I come up with this title, The High Cost of Big Government. Does it fit in? I hope I didn't read into that. I just... That was good. Anyway, I didn't write it. It was already there. I think it's for us. I think that that gives us confidence in the Lord anyway, doesn't it? it, it no, no need to fear. He's got it. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word, Your truth. May it be applied unto our hearts. And Lord, we just want Your will. We want to pursue You. And thank You for being in our lives, constantly wanting us to seek after You, to write down the things that You've done for us, and to read it, and study it, and remember, and repent. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.